Well, are you blessed tonight? Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, I won't keep you long. I'm just going to give you a few minutes because we just come on Sunday night. I just want the Holy Spirit to have His weight. But if you look with me, please, in Psalms chapter 132, I want to speak to you about the vow that David vowed that has always changed history and always will. Psalms chapter 132. It says in Psalms 132 verse 1, Lord, remember David in all of his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed. If you have the King James, the New King James, or other translations, even the New Living says he vowed. Say he vowed. To the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I would not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I would not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And you can look at verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has chosen it for a dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. Say that with me. For I have desired it. Say, He has desired it for His dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. What happens when he's there? Verse 15, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will clothe her priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. Then I will make the horn of David grow, and I will prepare a lamp for my anointed, and his enemies will I clothe with shame. But upon himself his crown shall flourish. How many of you know that David was making a vow unto the Lord. I'm not going to give any area of my personal life or ambition rest until I find a dwelling place for God. You know, the Bible says, you can just write this down in Amos 9 verse 11. It says that God, that David talked about that God was going to restore the tabernacle of David. But that word tabernacle is not the huge building that he built. It means really a, a small intimate place. It means a home. It's the tabernacle of the feast where they would just put branches. God is not looking for elaborate place to dwell. He's looking for the heart of the person to make it twice. You see, it wasn't David that prepared a place for the ark of God. It wasn't the riches and the money he put aside that it talks about in First Chronicles. It was the heart of David that prepared a place for God. And David vowed a vow. And it says in Acts, and you could write this down, Acts chapter 15, verse 12 through 18. It also says that he will restore the tabernacle of David or the habitation for God. How many of you know that God, that David had a passion and a zeal for a dwelling place of God? Say that with me. A passion and a zeal for God to be established. A dwelling place for God. And just hold your place there. And I want to show you something quickly in the book of Revelation chapter 3. 
Revelation chapter 3. David had such a zeal for a dwelling place of God, a place where God would feel comfortable, where God would have be at rest and where he would want to dwell. He had this zeal. Now, now listen to me, churches. We get into some areas here because this is where I believe God is wanting his church to go. Each and every one of us as individuals, he wants us to be, have a zeal and a desire to make a dwelling place for God. But listen to me. Zeal will mess up your comfort zone. Zeal will mess up your comfort zone. David vowed a vow, and we're going to get into it just a little here, but it will mess up your comfort zone. Listen to me. David says, this one thing I desire is not more songs and not more CDs. It's not fortune or fame. It's not getting known. It's not being recognized by man. My desire is not even to be a great warrior. My desire is not in the palace. My desire is not the crown. My desire is not the throne. My desire is not the biggest church. My desire is not the fanciest things. My desire is to have a dwelling place for God. Because there's a lot of commercialism where you buy these CDs and their first CD, you hear their heart, but the second and the third, they may have one out of 15 songs that are worth anything. Why? Because it's, it's about making more CDs to make more money instead of writing the songs that prepares a dwelling place for God for those who listen to it and enter into worship spirit and in truth. I don't preach to preach another message. I preach that God, will, Jesus will be pleased with the word spoken about Him. And not a word spoken about some man. And I want to show you in Revelations chapter 3, the Holy Spirit through God addresses the church. And it says in in verse 3 there, in Revelations 3 verse 1, the angel speaks to the church of Sardis. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. But you are dead. In other words, he's saying, you got a great reputation. The ministry's growing. Things are growing. Things are going. And everything looks good on the outside. Your reputation, the numbers, the buildings, everything is looking great. But even though people say, oh, you're alive and you're doing great, I know that you are dead on the inside and you have shifted into being professional instead of being true. I know your works. You've got the famous school. You have the famous buses. You have the famous facilities. You have the famous worship leaders. You have the famous everything. Everything looks like it's going for you, but I know your heart. You're building it for you, and you're not building it for me. And I am looking for somebody not to build something in the natural for a dwelling place. I am looking for some hearts who will have a zeal for me that though it seems like you're dead, I'd rather work with something dead than something and faking to be alive. I can raise the dead, but I can't place the fake. You're alive, but you're dead. And he says here, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are all ready to die. 
For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received. Remember how you received. Go back and be like a child. Go back and listen to the people that don't have a lot of money. The people who don't drive the nice cars. Go back and just don't concentrate on having the favor of the higher. But listen to the new and the weaker. Remember when you were hungry that you could be taught by anybody or anything. Remember where you didn't have to be fascinated or impressed by the big things. You were impressed when some child came up to you and gave you a tootsie roll and says, Here, I love you. But now, it takes a check of $1,000 to turn you on. When a Tootsie Roll used to make you cry. Oh, come on, church. Everybody calls it alive. The most growing church. The strongest, most awesome church. You got all the latest technology and all the greatest lights and all the greatest equipment and all the greatest ministries and you're written about in all the books and magazines, but I know your heart and your works will not stand before me for though you seem alive, you are dead. Therefore, remember how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Zeal for the presence of God will bring us to a point of death time and time and time again. But it also brings us to a point of self-examination. Why am I singing? Why am I preaching? Why am I here? What is my motive before God? For God knows my heart. David says, I desire to build a dwelling place for God. And in the name of Jesus, that's what we're going to do here. I don't know where other people are tonight because I said this morning I was going to be sharing on the vow. Listen, this vow we're going to get into by David. It changed history. Through Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah. It changed history. Every time they were in captivity and had no way out, it was the vow of David that came up and they said, let's go back to the vow of David and see if God will not rescue us from the hands of the enemy. And is that what not God said? I will provide and I will call, dress your enemies with shame if you make a dwelling place for me. As we build and we just build momentum and we go into this higher level of worship, praise and self-surrender and humility and being as a form of a child, that the demons will flee without having to address them. The spirits will manifest without even having to, to address them. The, the healings will happen in the atmosphere of worship and praise when we make a dwelling place for God. But we've got to have the zeal of God to prepare the zeal of David to have a resting place for God. David vowed to dedicate his life to find a resting place, a dwelling place for God, where an unusual measure of God's presence can be manifested. The more unusual, wild and crazy and committed and sold out we get, the more unusual the man. Remember, I preached a whole month on the unusuals of God. 
But it takes unusual, peculiar generation and priesthood to bring in the atmosphere of the glory of God. And I believe that's what God is wanting to do. There's purgings and there's prunings because God desires and deserves the best dwelling place that there is. His life's goal and ambition was not to be a king or a warrior, but to establish a resting place for God on this earth. Now, I want to, I, I want to show you this. Look with me in, uh, look with me in Genesis chapter 28. Let me show you where vow is used before. Genesis 28. And church, I want to share this with people who say, I don't have anything. I don't have nothing. I am nobody. I have nothing. I am nobody. I am nothing. I want you to hear about this evil, conniving, crooked son. He stole his brother's birthright. And it says in Genesis 28, verse 20, And Jacob made a vow. He made a what? A vow. You know what? I think... What God is looking for for a revival in America is more people who are willing to make a vow to death, do their part, to live for the pleasure of God. When Paul said, it's not my life that I live, but Christ lives in me, I believe that was a death sentence he put upon himself, a vow to God. I believe that for, listen, God is bringing forth words about the bridegroom for the bride. Well, isn't, doesn't that have to do with a vow? And a heartfelt commitment that I'm yours and only yours? Isn't the right thing that when a young man and young woman are about to get married, a bachelor party is not about this is my last night of having fun for the rest of my life. A bachelor party is about having fun with friends, but not because you're getting ready, groomed is the doom, but happy is the man who's getting ready to get married. Well, I believe there has to be that vow as it says here that Jacob says, and Jacob made a vow saying, if God be with me, a presence, if I can make God a presence and keep me in the way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, the Lord shall be my God. And this stone I've set as a pillar shall be a God's house or dwelling place. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now listen, you say, I don't have anything. It says in the Word of God that all Jacob had was the clothes on and a stick. He didn't even have an extra bag of clothes. All he had was a stick and a clothes. But he said, if I make a heartfelt vow to God, I'm coming back to this place. I'm going to build a dwelling place and my life's going to be different. And as you know, a few years later, he comes back with two companies. Of animals and riches and gold and blessing. Why? He made a vow unto God. Now the word of God says be careful. We hear this preach all the years. All my life I've heard be careful. Ecclesiastes says it's better not to vow a vow than vow a vow and break it. You know what? I think it's that type of hypocritical preaching. 
that has stopped the church going farther than it has and revival from being stood back long, as long as it has because I believe we put so much emphasis on the danger of making a vow and breaking it than the glory of making a, bra- a vow and keeping it. How about the people who can make a vow and keep it? How about the people who have a zeal for the Lord, who, who, who God and a dwelling place for God is everything and is not built upon what I don't have, what I have, who I am, who I am not. I'll make a vow to God because I believe that there is a grace of God and a love and a mercy of God that will keep me from falling, that I can make a vow to God and I am not going to break my vow. I'm not looking for the judgment of God. I'm looking for the glory of God. I believe this is the heart of David. And it was the heart of Jacob. Even David in Psalms 132 brought Jacob up again. Because I believe there is something that is going on in these verses. And all we're going to be able to touch tonight, it looks like is these verses to make a vow. Let's go back to Psalms 132. Oh, Hallelujah. It says in verse 5, And vowed to the mighty God of Jacob, Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes. I will not slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for God, a dwelling place for the mighty, of, the, the mighty one of Jacob. The message says, I'm not going home. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to sleep, not even take time to rest until I find a home for God, the house for the strong God of Jacob. That word there is, a, is the word habitation. And that word habitation there, Jesus says, I am the tabernacle. Or in other words, I am the ark. All the children of Israel, they desired to have the ark. And Jesus said, What was in the ark? The manna. I am the word of life. The Ten Commandments. I am the word of God. Oh, Aaron's rod. I am he that can take the dead thing, disconnected thing, and bring it to life again. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life and provision that sustains. And I am the word of God that lasts eternally. I am the substance of the ark. I am the tabernacle of the presence of God. And that is what David is getting a hold of, that I am not going to seek these things to satisfy myself. I am going to seek the God of Israel and I am going to do my very best. And I started thinking about, and many of you can identify this, I was thinking about when I was little and my mom and daddy at 10, 10 would watch the Johnny Carson show. And uh, the Dean Martin show. And it was always late at night. And we'd get home from church. And, you know, 8.39, you had to go to bed. And I remember they're getting ready to watch Johnny Carson. I remember sometimes being in the bed. And I hear my mom and daddy laughing. And I would get up and go, I'm thirsty. Just to see what they were laughing at. Or I would get up and I would go, I would go, uh, I'm not tired. And they would go, Russell Layton, you better get to bed. But I'm not tired, mama. And and mom or daddy. And the problem was, was that when you're a child, and my children were the same way when you're young, it's like you don't want to miss out on anything. I I don't want to miss out on a party. You have this feeling that once mom and daddy goes to bed, the fun begins. (laughs) 
It's like mom, it's like once the kids go to bed, mom and dad is going to have people over and they're going to pull out the music and they're just going to have a great time. And it's like if I go to sleep, if mom and daddy makes me go to sleep, I'm going to miss out on something fun. I'm going to miss out on some great times. Oh, please, I don't want to go to sleep. And your kids beg you to death. And they, they need eight glasses of water. And, 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 and they, they, they need a bathroom eight times. And, and they're, no, I'm hungry. What is it now, son? I'm hungry. And then once they bring you something to eat, then all of a sudden, what is it? I'm scared. Well, what you scared of? And then all of a sudden, it's, it's on and on and on. And finally they go, you better go to sleep right now. I know what you're up to. You just don't want to go to bed. And that was the truth. I don't want to go to bed. I'm about to miss something. Well, that's how David was. David was saying, I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to eat right now. I don't want to eat right now. We don't have King David. We don't have no microwave ovens. The food will spoil. We'll throw it away. Put my pajamas up. But King, it is the King's hour for sleep. Get out of here. People grow up. There's a lady in this church. She don't like to sleep because she always, I've heard her for years now. I might miss out on something. I won't say who it is. But she always, she's still to this day. I might miss out on something. Well, that's what David is saying. I might miss out on something. Something good is going to happen. And then it says, he vowed a vow to a God. And he said that I... Yeah. Where does it say worship? Verse 7, thank you. He says, let us go into his tabernacle and let us worship at his footstool. Listen to the message translation. I'll contemplate his beauty and I'll study at his feet. But this word worship here is the word, listen, this is so important. Is the Hebrew word to descend. And what it means in Hebrew, I must make my forehead hit the ground, descend from who I am, what I desire, and what I think I need. I must descend. I must decrease. And that's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. I must put my forehead on the ground. And when I put my forehead in worship and acknowledgement of God, I've prepared a place for the footstool of my God. And I don't want to move. I don't want to move. I must descend. I must prostrate myself before God. Hear from God. It's out of devotion for God. And he says here, he vowed to the mighty one. He says that I will build a house. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or comfort until I find a place for God, a dwelling place for God. The, the word dwelling place is the word unacceptable dwelling place. Now, when you look at the word a house for the Lord tabernacle there, tabernacle is the word house. The perfect dwelling place. Listen to this. You can look it up in the lexicon. 
That word house is used all through the Bible. When you hear about kings going to their house, it's talking about kings going into the coffin, saying, I'll go to the coffin and get it and stay there, but God will rip you out of the coffin and throw you before his judgment seat. The word house is a coffin, but listen to this. The word house, tabernacle, means the box as the alabaster box. And he's saying, I will prepare a place of worship, a dwelling place. And that little lady with a year's salary bought a tabernacle, a house, a dwelling place. And what did Jesus say? She is anointing me for this burial, for her box means, first of all, worship. It also means my death. She's anointing me through this worship from my death into a coffin, which I shall come out alive again. The alabaster. A place of worship. A place of glory. And it says, I didn't get to underline all my words this afternoon. Where's the word day? Y'all go ahead and help me. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slump to my eyelids until I find a funny place. Is that another translation? You see the word day? Verse 4. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slump to my eyelids. What, what translation you got, babe? King James, okay. In verse 4, it says day. Now get ready for this. Because you're already saying, well, we can't sleep. Listen. Jesus said, the zeal of the Lord has consumed me. Listen what the word day there means. Not a regular day that you count as night or day to separate into hours. Not natural hours. The word day there means sovereign, divine time. Listen to this. The word day there means time like Jesus. He's always existed and always will exist. It's the time that doesn't have an hour clock. The word day there means no beginning and no end. David was saying, I want such a presence of God and an atmosphere of God that I won't even notice what time they say it is because I won't care what time it is because I'm in the presence of my king. It's supernatural time with no boundaries. It's not tied down to where, well, Lord, if I don't get enough sleep, I won't make it tomorrow. It's about getting so lost, you're better than sleep. That's what he's saying there. It's the word used in Genesis where the God would come in the cool of the evening, but they had no night. And that the visitation and the time between Adam and God had no end because man was not interested in it coming to an end. He wasn't like Sunday morning crowd. Well, it's getting noon. You better finish. He wasn't like, it's Sunday night. I'm staying home because I need my rest. It's not like Wednesday night where I don't find it interesting enough to make that sacrifice. David had the zeal 
that brought revival. They didn't go to, on how he felt, what his eyes or his body or anything else told him he needed. He says, I don't need food. He is my food. I don't need sleep. He is my rest. I will stay in the presence of my King and of my God. And he goes on to say, and to behold, say behold. Well, where's that word at, baby? Verse 6, behold. Write down this word, behold. Because it's, it's in here in more places, the word behold. The word behold. Get ready. He says, the reason I don't want to tie myself down to limited time because I am beholding, and that word behold means I am seeing as the prophet saw. Write that word down, behold, because I'm going to take you on a little trip before I end. It means to see as the prophet saw. But it's a word used in Hebrew poetry. The word behold means that the roots of a plant Perceive and feel the stones and the water below the surface. In other words, I know there is something here because I feel it. I've read my seven chapters for the day. I've prayed my hour for the day. I've done my intercessory prayer for the day. I've done my praise and I've prayed, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have done what I'm supposed to do. And I should close my Bible and go on and do what I should do. But the roots of my spirit are telling me that there are some things I'm not seeing. And there's like a stirring of the words of prophecy. And that word behold is the word prophecy also. You can see there in the lexicon. And it means that my roots that are planted by the rivers of living water. About building my house upon a foundation, not upon sand, but upon rocks. To where the roots are sensing the stone that will keep me from moving. But the water that is giving me nourishment... He's saying, behold, I I am in a vast area where I am hearing, I'm having visions as Isaiah and Jeremiah did. I am hearing the voice of God as Ezekiel did. I am in the spirit as, as the apostles were, as Paul was when he was taken to the third heaven. I am in a place where I've never been before, but there is a drawing. There is a drawing. There is a drawing that's bringing me down. And, and, and on the, on the outside, it may be midnight and on the outside, I may be be tired and on the outside my body may be telling me something but on the inside my spirit is telling me that it has found a reservoir of the fountain that will never run dry it's found a reservoir of oil it's found a reservoir of the life of God in Christ Jesus it's found a reservoir of wisdom knowledge and understanding my roots are telling me don't quit you're getting close to the stone that's going to hold you up against the trials and the afflictions that are coming your way you're coming and you're holding on to the faith that are going to hold you up when the persecutions of man come your way. You're coming to the water that will keep nourishing you when you're walking through a desert time and it feels like no word is coming forth and no direction and you're tired and you're weary. But as you allow your roots in the season to continue to grow and go into the reservoirs that are divinely, that were made for the prophets and the men and women of old. There are songs and there are words and there are visions and there are dreams. As you desire to build a dwelling place for God. 
Let me give you an example. Exodus 24. Exodus 24. I knew I wasn't going to get nowhere tonight. First page. Exodus 24. Oh, this is good. A dwelling place. A dwelling place. A dwelling place for God. People said, you're so selfish with your pulpit. No, I am so jealous over my pulpit. You don't want to let anybody preach. It's been entrusted to me. And I'm jealous over what would come out. Because he knows my heart. But I want to know the heart of the person, if he would tell me, to let him share from his pulpit. Because it's got to be something that reaches into the heart of the sheep and the people. And it says in Exodus 24, verse 6, I want you to see this example of behold. Exodus 24, verse 6. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood and sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now, look at this. And Moses went up, also Aaron, also Nadab, also Abihu, Abihu. And 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of jasper stones. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, look at this now, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God. And they ate. And they drank. Look what it is. Remember Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God covered his eyes as he passed by. And for so long Moses was going, you don't know what you're missing. Come on here, God. Oh, no, 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 no. You go hear from God and you tell us about it. But here we find in Exodus 24 that God says, invite him. He took the 70 elders and the priesthood and the, and the elder, other elders, two elders with him. And they went up the mountain of the Lord. And God Nobody had to cover their eyes. God says, no, I'm going to reveal myself totally. And you won't die. And they saw from the mountain. They saw into heaven. They saw the crystal sapphire. <laughs> oh. Can you imagine this? We're seeing what Moses saw. And God is telling us, you can see what Paul saw, John saw, Ezekiel saw. You can even see what Jesus saw and sees by building a dwelling place for me. No one's prohibited if you're only a priest. If you are a priest, you can come up. But then they got to a certain point. They were eating and drinking. And then God says, Moses, you come up by yourself. I brought them to this level. They beheld me. Now you come. What did Jesus say in John? 
He came and was rejected, but he was beheld as the only begotten son. There is more of Christ and the word and the spirit to be seen than we can ever imagine. And this word beheld was given to David to sense and to feel. Let me give you two more. Look at Job chapter 20. Well, let's go to Numbers 24 so we don't have to come back. Numbers 24. And I'll go ahead and end. Because I know you've got to go home and go eat and go to bed. <laughs> Numbers chapter 24, verse 1. But if you are awake, just say, here am I, Lord, like Samuel did. Because we need some Samuels in the house. We need some Davids in the house. I've told God for eight years now, if this is just a regular church, then give it to a regular guy and I'm getting out of here. Because I don't want a regular this or a regular that. I want a dwelling place for God. And I know you do too. I know you do too. I know you do. And I know that's why we are here together. Numbers 24. Here's old Balaam. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as, as other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his oracle and said, or he came and he beheld the utterance of Balaam, the son of Bor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, Oh, hallelujah. If he could open up the eyes of Jacob and he could open the eyes of David, the adulterer, and if he could open up the sorcerer, Balaam, who has sold his anointing for sorcery and money, if he could open up their eyes, thank God there's hope for me. The utterance of the man whose eyes are open and the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees a vision, who sees a vision of the Almighty who falls down with wide eyes wide open. Read that over and over again. The utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. Say, that's me. The utterance of him who hears the words of God. Say, that's me. Who sees the vision of the Almighty. Say, that's me. And who falls down with eyes wide open. Spirit eyes open. Oh my God, this is good. This is good. And this is Old Testament. We are in the New Testament. All promises made with not animals, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. Better promises. Take this scripture and war with it. In my last one, Job 20. Job 20. Oh, Father, we vow, we desire. Mm. Job 20. You may say, aren't you scared of vow and what if you break it? Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I'd rather make the vow and break it than be a coward and comfortable and not make a vow in case I do break it. Because the church sounds no different than the world. The church says, Oh, you're getting married next month. Yeah, let's just hope this one works. Oh, you're getting married. Well, we'll see if it works. And they make the vow 
50-50. But David says, I'll put my life into it. And if I die, I die. But I want to get as close as I can to open vision of God. And I'm not planning by the grace of God to break my vow. Glory be to God. Job 20 verse 24. He will flee from the iron weapon. The bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and comes out of the body. Yes, the glittering point comes out. Well, that was interesting. Well, I guess I'll give it to you next week. Well, hallelujah, I'll give it to you next week. Is that okay? Because I don't know where to go. But I'm going to find it again because I know where to go to find it. The lexicon. And if you're in a hurry, go look up the word behold. And then do all the scripture studies. And you'll find where it's at in Joel. Verse what? 29, you might have it, brother. Might be 9 because I, I do that sometimes. Uh, that's good, but that's not it. Well, that's good. They fly like a dream that can't be remembered. Like a sh- Well, anyway. It's good. <laughs> Behold, yeah, that's good. I'm going to go back and study it and make sure that's it. But that's good. Y'all put that in y'all's notes and read it. 20 verse 8 9. Put it all in your notes. It's all good. But all oh, church. Oh, I pray that we all can get the heart of David and desire to make a vow as he made a vow. And have the dwelling place of God. How many of you know lately we've been having surges of His presence come in? Last Sunday night, two Wednesdays in a row. I believe we're preparing a dwelling place. But it's the heart He seeks. And I'll show you later on with the Scriptures, and I'll get them right, that every historic time was changed by revowing the vow of David. And in Amos and in Acts, it says, I will reestablish the tabernacle or the vow of David's heart in preparing a dwelling place for God again. It's the vow that will change our history, change this city, change this state. It's the vow to make a dwelling place for God. And that's what God is looking for. Amen. Those who embrace the true value of our God. Lukewarmness is not going to do. Seeming alive is not going to do. God will put up and He will put down who He chooses. Because if God alone, who knows the hearts? And I believe it's a new time for the church. And I believe it's going to be grading time. <laughs> 
with the spirit of truth is going to be removing, keeping, or raising up according to the hearts, not according to the talents. According to the heartfelt search of God. That we're going into a greater grace, but we're going to a greater responsibility because every time it was, I was going to get there tonight, but we have time. Every time you get into judgment time, you get into the time I will restore new visions. The more judgment that falls, the deeper and brighter the visions of heaven get. And we're getting ready to see those things and behold those things from God. And I didn't get there tonight, but one of the things I wanted to get to was you go on and read in the book of Revelation. It talks about the elders worshiping God. And I didn't get into the seven spirits of the words of the seven spirits of praise and the words of the sevenfold spirits of worship, which we will next time probably. But the more our worship is like the worship of the elders, the sephirims, the beings created to worship, they are the closest thing to God. So that means the more our worship becomes like their worship, the closer we get to God's throne. And God is changing worship into throne worship. So that the more we're, we mimic and the more we're connected to the worship that's going around the throne, the more we're going to see the manifestation from the throne. And that's what we're working on. And that's what we're going for. Ah, my. You had something? Um, where you talked about where it said that Jacob, that Jacob vowed a vow, the next chapter starts to introduce him to how the devil heard he vowed a vow and the devil started to work through well, that's Laban good. That's to good. keep him from that's getting good. back to the place. Because look how many years he had to stay there and he kept trying to get out. But in the midst mm, of mm, that mm. time span, God began to give him dreams, dreams yeah. of strategy, Strategies how to, to get, get out. out of the situation. Oh, and a lot of times we've made good. a covenant with our mates and we don't want to be covenant breakers but there's the devil trying to make you get out of covenant through strife and fighting and misunderstanding but god can give you a dream of strategy how mm. to make this thing Woo. work amen, amen. whoa amen. i taught her everything she knows <laughs> that's good that's good sister carolyn Okay. Job 19.27. Well, I'm so glad we got some scholars in here. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Job 19.27. Write that down, honey, so I can change my notes. Yeah, this is it. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know. That in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart earns within me. If you should say, how shall we persecute him? Since the root of the matter is found in me. Be not afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword. That you may know there is a judgment. The message says, and I shall see him, even though 
I get skinned alive. See God in myself with my very own eyes and how I wait long for the day, the day, day, day. You didn't do reverb there. If you're thinking, how can we get through to him? Get him to see his trouble is his own fault. Forget it. Start worrying about yourselves. Worry about your own sins and God's coming judgment for judgment is most certainly on the way. In other words, don't jump on him and criticize him and skin him alive and persecute him and mock him and belittle him or her because she is designed to get into the deeper things of the spirit. Worry about yourself because he has seen something you haven't seen. So don't touch my anointed. He's willing to pay the price to get before me. And I'm one, in these messages, I want to get to the point that the problem is, is that God is raising up Davids who will lay off everything and will descend to go dancing with all of his might. But woe to those who mock from a way off who become barren because they don't want to worship and behold God as he who's willing to praise Christ is to praise God. Don't mock for the barrenness comes upon those who mock what they have not seen. Because David was Micah. I'm going to be crazy even next time. Because if you could see him like I see him. If you could sense his presence like I sense his presence. I lost control over my body. I lost control over my emotions. I lost control over my, my pride and my rectitude. And I lost control over my self-control. And the Holy Ghost took over everything. And I wasn't king. I was a beholder of the glory of God. And when you mock me, you mock the God I see. Because I see the angels dancing. And if I could just two-step a little bit like them. God, I don't want to go to sleep. I might miss something. I don't want to leave. I might miss something. I don't want to miss. I might miss something. People say, oh, that's legalism trying to get us to come to church. No, you might miss something. God don't want you to miss. Let's stand. To be continued. Just stand up and raise your hands and praise. Oh, hallelujah. Just praise. Just praise. Our, to look at a man to meet an emotional, emotional need of the absence of a father. Or the absence of a mentor, or the absence of a friend. And there is a place for mentoring, and we believe in mentoring. But I believe that when you just put your eyes upon mentoring, you don't end up going to the death of being mentored by the teacher, the Holy Spirit Himself. We depend so many times on what someone else can give us instead of what the Holy Spirit can give us. And, some, and, and He asked me, He says, Why do you believe that way? He says, oh, Why do you believe that way? I said, Because... I spent 18 years overseas and there was no man I could go to to mentor me. They were ending up in prison. There was nobody I could go to to give me information and put me in that position of a spiritual father. There was no one there in the natural. So as a 19-year-old kid, 24-year-old kid, all the way up, there was nobody to run to but the Holy Spirit. But I found out that He was more than enough. I found out he's got the wisdom, knowledge, understanding, power, authority, dominion. And I got to walk with the Holy Ghost those years. 
And before trying to get you to put all your attention upon what pastor can be to me, what's going to make the race to win the race is when you learn to get your eyes upon the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised would come upon this earth and He will teach you and guide you all things. And so many people are looking for someone that they can lean on the arm of flesh, but we are called to lean upon the hand and the arm of God and the Holy Ghost. There is a place for everything. But don't ever try to position man in a position that only belongs to God. He is the first word to the last word. And His word cannot be challenged and it cannot be made void. So when you make the Lord your footstool, you're making Him your teacher and your mentor. And if you want to know who he taught, go ahead and walk with righteous Noah. Go ahead and walk with Enoch. (laughs) Go ahead and walk with Abraham and Joseph and Daniel and the Hebrew children and Isaiah. Woo! Go ahead and walk with Paul. Paul said, I didn't consent with men or the elders in Jerusalem, but I went to the desert for three and a half years and I was taught by the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of codependency that sounds spiritual, but we need to learn to lean totally upon the arm of the Almighty God and the Holy Ghost who fills us and Causes us to know the living words. Where will we go? You've got the words of life. He's looking for those disciples and those who will sell out and vow to Him. I want Jesus. I want to know Him. I count all my scholars, count all my Bible school. I count. Paul was saying, I count everything I learned. As dumb. As poo-poo. That I may know Christ. Nothing else matters but to know Him. I've got to know Jesus. And hallelujah, because of the grace and the mercy of God, my human failures, my human mistakes, my own stuttering, my own problem is not going to push me away from knowing my God. Nobody skin me alive. I'll go, I'll go muscle and bone, but I'm going to get with my God. Whatever, nobody can stop you and tell you you're not good enough or worthy enough to be a personal student of the mighty third person of the Trinity, which is the Holy Ghost. And He wants to take you in, in line with the students that are written in this Word, along with Smith Wilgosworth and John G. Lake and so many others. You are candidate to be a student of the almighty Holy Ghost. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Mm. Mm. So, Father, we do surrender to you. And, Father, I believe for people who are courageous that we may be able to say this one thing we vow. That we together as a body... Desire to build you a dwelling place. Not built with natural hands or materials, but built upon a heart that is to worship you in spirit and in truth. Pay the price 
for the manifestation that your glory will be revealed and known. That you will be so highly exalted with the voices of multitudes in word of grace. But only because multitudes will come to lift their voices united in worshiping you and adoring you. You are the major attraction. You are everything. And may souls come to adore and worship you. May lives be changed so that we can be like Jairus. I've got to tell somebody. 